Hi, I'm Adam McDaniel, and you're listening to the He Shoots, He Draws podcast. Welcome to the He Shoots, He Draws podcast, the show about photography and design, with your host, Dave Clayton. Welcome to this very special two-part episode, where in the first part, I'm going to speak into Adam McDaniel. Now, Adam emailed me about this project he's working on around the artist Richard Amsell. For those of you that know your movie posters, you'll have heard of Drew Struzan, John Alvin, even as recent as Paul Shipper. Um, but this was all about Adam's uh, project around creating a documentary about Richard's life because it wasn't very well documented and there's a lot of great artwork to cover and he's also working on a book. So the next two episodes I'm, I've released, the first one is an interview with Adam McDaniel about the project and then the part two, the second next episode is with Paul Shipper talking about what Paul's been up to but also his relationship with Adam and with the Richard Amsell project. So hope you enjoyed both episodes. They're quite long but if you love movie poster history it's really, really interesting. So um, hope you join us and uh, hope we'll see you in the next episode as well. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of He Shoots, He Draws. And this is quite an unusual one because more often than not, I'm interviewing somebody I already know or I've worked with in the industry. But on this occasion, every once in a while, I get an email through from somebody saying they've seen or heard the podcast and they'd like to be involved in it. And sometimes it's not necessarily the right kind of guest that you're after. But on this occasion... I got an email from Adam McDaniel who is working on a book and a documentary project and as soon as I saw the words movie posters I was sold. He he had he had me at hello. So welcome Adam to the podcast. Hello. Uh, <laughs> it's, 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 thank you so much for having me on. It means a lot to me so and uh, it's also oh, exciting no, thank- times. Yeah, it's it was it was such a one of those. Um, I remember when I first reached out to Paul Shipper, who we obviously both know and we will talk about. Um, and Paul does is like the modern day movie poster guy. He's kind of taken ready. He's got his hand on the torch of Drew Struzan's yes. that he's yeah. kind of ready to let go. And Paul's a lovely guy. Yes. And um, and I was really intrigued because I didn't really know a lot about the subject of of what we're going to be talking about later, which is. Um, Richard Amsell and who who obviously we lost a long time ago 1985 um but you've been working on a project putting together kind of his, his life history and documenting his work with the doc, with the documentary and the book so it was a real pleasure to sort of know that we could talk and we waited we actually I think we first communicated probably back in August yeah it was, um, it was a little while ago and I, I asked because uh, I'm still I was still trying to get certain things together in preparation for going public with you know uh uh the book i'll just say and yeah uh, so so we'll, we'll get more into that later with the uh, pomp and circumstance yep. but uh you know I, so i i wanted to kind of uh collect my thoughts and and um but yeah so anyway um yeah so let's talk about you because okay. you're my guest um okay. So you're Adam McDaniel. I mean, what's uh, what when people ask you, I always ask my guests this question when you're in a pub and someone comes up to you and says, hi, what do you do for a living? I mean, what do you think? What What's your answer to that at the moment? And what is your background? OK, well, in order to answer that, I kind of have to 
take a long sigh and <laughs> I do I do a lot of bit of uh, a number of things uh, but I, I don't think I'm really comfortable calling myself any one thing because I don't know if I've really earned that moniker. Uh, hmm. I could say I'm a filmmaker, but I've been working on a film now for five years. Um, other people have, uh, you know, whipped out films, a number of films just within that time. I could yeah. say <laughs> I'm an artist, an illustrator, but I pale in comparison to someone like Paul Schiffer. And, uh, you know, I haven't really drawn all that much the last few years. I got to get more back into it. But uh, what I am unequivocally, and uh, I can say with absolute enthusiasm, is I'm a lover of movies and art. And uh, what greater topic than movie posters to to, to I know, those I two know. that's that's where your email had me. Just yeah, it was like it was one of those where you do we we do get emailed by people, and you can tell when it's kind of a blanket email because um, quite often they'll they'll say. Like your yours was like hi Dave, we you know, we're interested in getting on the podcast, but because it's called He Shoots He Draws, I get emails that say, "Oh, good afternoon, he, we're big fans uh. of your show." <laughs> so like it was one of those where I hope I hope this is one of those opportunities where this happens and we can make it happen, yeah. um, because of the subject matter and because I think what you've done yourself in in terms of taking on a project like this is both fascinating and admirable because you've spent a good few years putting this together so let's let's just talk about um before we go into the Richard Amsel project I mean what were you doing prior to that that's kind of been the path to beginning this project sure sure well I mean I started out I'll start at the beginning with uh, my childhood. Uh, yeah, I was a big movie fan and an artist. Uh, I was the art geek of you know my school and and such. And um, before the age of the internet, where you're suddenly competing with people across the world and comparing your work with everyone the world over, and before Photoshop, you know. Uh, Every, you know, every school has, uh, every high school or grade school, whatever, has its own, like, little artistic star. And that was me before I realized how much better so many other people were. <laughs> um, but I also loved movies. And uh, my favorite film, I was just gobsmacked by it, was Raiders of the Lost Ark when it came out. And uh, and I remember when I first saw it in 1981, um, you know, it was... Uh, either opening weekend or the weekend after. And I didn't want to see it. Uh, my friend Peter had to kind of talk me into it. I had wanted to see the movie The Legend of the Lone Ranger, which was a big flop. Um, and Peter's uh, argument for Raiders was, well, the hero, he wears a kind of a cowboy hat and he rides a horse and he has a gun. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So we saw the movie. I was just absolutely floored by it. And uh, then I remember I was so excited when they were re-releasing the film uh, a year later and uh it had a new movie poster and i saw that artwork for the first time in black and white and uh a full page spread in the new jersey uh star ledger newspaper yeah and i'm like oh my god this art and uh that's when i first noticed uh, the signature amsel and i followed richard amsel's work for years you would see it uh back you know on for example, home video releases of The Shootist with John Wayne and Amsel's poster for that was very kind of similar. Um, or Death on the Nile or 
Murder on the Orient Express and, and Flash Gordon and then the Dark Crystal and then Mad Max. Oh, yeah. And uh, as I got older, I focused more and more on art and filmmaking, especially in college. My filmmaking was my major, and I did some short films and such. And and uh, when I was in high school, I was working a, a local cable TV cable company. I was like the youngest person working with a, their company at the time, doing camera work and what have you. And uh, I just I don't remember if it really hit me all at once, <clears> but I, I just I realized I haven't seen anything from Richard Ansel in a long time. And I didn't know anything about him. There was nothing, really. And uh, I always envisioned him as this sage, old, elderly man who had retired. Fast forward many years later, I uh, graduate college. I went to Vassar in uh, New York. Uh, I moved to Los Angeles. And then in the 2000 uh, at USC, they had Christie's had an auction Christie's auction house had an auction mm. of original movie poster artwork and uh, including John Alvin, including Drew Struzan. Um, and it was there that I learned uh, that Richard Amstel had not only that he had died and how he had died, but how young he had been. Yeah. He was only 37. He was just a few weeks shy of his 38th birthday. That's 10 years younger than I am now. And for those who don't know the name, um, you know his work. Uh, Richard Amsel was essentially the most prolific and most popular American illustrator of entertainment art from throughout the 70s and early 80s. Um, he did a lot of covers for TV Guide. I think uh, it was 37, I mean, just off, off the top of my head, I think 37 published co covers for TV Guide. And uh, he also did uh, very famous album and concert posters for personalities such as Beth Midler. Uh, you know, he, he loved icons, especially females, um, people like, uh, you know, Barbara Streisand, Beth Midler, uh, Lily Tomlin. And uh, he had a certain knack for capturing their larger than life personalities. Uh, but he's most famous for his movie poster work, uh, particularly the Two posters done for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Drew Struzan did another poster that we use using in other international territories. But uh, Amsel did the, the uh, initial 81 domestic release of uh, a close-up of Harrison Ford with a whip over his shoulder. And, uh, and that was used in several international markets as well. Uh, he also did the very, very famous 1982 re-release poster, which is the kind of the classical montage of elements. Uh, Amsel also did posters for films like The Sting and The Dark Crystal, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, which was his last completed movie poster. Um, he got his start, actually, his very, very first movie poster that was used for, was for Hello, Dolly. That was released in 1969, and that was a big budget Barbra Streisand vehicle. And I understand uh, he got that through kind of entering... A competition. Like, a, like, like a design competition yes. to do the poster and at 22. He was, he was still in school. He had yet to graduate. And uh, the funny thing is, I actually spoke with one of Richard Amsel's teachers. He went to school at University of the Arts. It was known as the Philadelphia College of Art back then. And uh, um, Amsel, actually, there was one class where he did not do the homework that was required. And he says, I'm sorry. You know, he tells the professor, I'm really, really sorry. I've just, I've been busy with this other thing. You know, just 
doing this other competition thing, which turned out to be Hello, Dolly, and was the poster that cemented his career. And the teacher, upon hearing that, oh, you know, you didn't do your homework. Oh, Richard, where are your priorities? You know, and, <laughs> you know, um, he really, he didn't just hit the art scene. He clobbered it in New York. And uh, so in the early 70s, he did, you know, a number of scattershot movie posters here and there. He did a lot of paperback book covers for like Ballantyne and such and uh, magazine and newspaper ads and such. And actually a challenge I have is trying to track down all of that artwork because it's kind of obscure. <coughs> Sorry. But his movie poster art, you know, um, The Sting, which was a huge, uh, huge blockbuster and won Best Picture uh, for the Oscars. He did the very famous poster for, which was inspired by J.C. Decker's work. Uh, that was Sting, was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. and you know, Lion Decker was a huge influence on him. And he also did posters for such films as Nashville, um, The Little Prince, uh, God, you know, I'm reading this. All, yeah, I, I, my mind is strangely a blank right now. But to all these, you know, colossal movie posters. Chinatown, he did a very famous poster for, not the one used in America, but for, used in some international mar markets. Um, and, uh, you know, and Flash Gordon, of course. And then Raiders. Um, so his work was iconic and it was everywhere. He had a very, very distinct signature. And uh, so over you know ever since then that uh, that uh, auction in 2000 i was always it kind of reignited my interest in his work and i kind of became uh, over the following years rather obsessed in in trying to track down his work and find out more about him and there was nothing nothing and then uh sorry to ramble here uh, no it's feel good free, feel free to edit um back in late 2007 uh, I had you know, been working in Hollywood for a while, and at the time I was working for a post-production company. And uh, the Writers Guild was on strike, and that kind of crippled. You know, this is long before the age of COVID, so this is all relatively speaking. But uh, you know, the entertainment industry was at a standstill, and I, I found myself out of work. So um, on a friend's referral, I checked out a gallery uh, of J.C. Liondecker's work that was on a temporary show nearby which reminded me of Richard Amsel and his work for The Sting. So mm -hmm. I, you know, I went to the Motion Picture Academy Library, went through you know, everything I possibly could, uh, scoured online to find what I could. And uh, one step after another, I started getting in contact with people who knew Richard Amsel personally or who had worked with him. And I created a website, uh, richardamsel.info. Uh, it's also richard-amsel.com. And they're going to be more coming. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, you know, that was a fan site trying to catalog his work. And uh, that kind of took a, a foothold or, you know, in, in the following years, it got to the point where people would reach out to me saying, oh, I knew Richard Amsel or even, you know, Richard's surviving brother and, and sister reached out to me. And I was in contact with the Amsel family for a while. Um, and uh, so now, uh, the better part of a little over six years ago, um, I thought, okay, it's time to do a movie. Uh, and let me segue. I'm going to give a shout out to two friends, filmmaker friends of mine who I need to kind of create to credit 
First is Kevin Burke, who did a documentary, 24 by 36, which uh, I, I feature a little bit in. Kevin interviewed me to talk about Richard Amsel. Hmm. And uh, he interviewed me, oh God, this was a number of years ago. He and his uh, film production partner came and just came into my apartment at the time and did a little interview. And then like two or maybe three years later, you know, his film was finished and it really inspired me. Uh, another person I'm going to give a, a shout out to is Eric Sharkey, uh, who did the wonderful uh, Drew Struzan documentary, you know, Drew, the man behind the poster, as well as more recently a documentary on uh, Floyd Norman, who was uh, one of the first uh, African-American animators for Disney. And okay. I'm ha yeah, I'm ha very happy to say that uh, now both Kevin and Eric uh, are collaborating on a documentary on uh, the work of Greg Hildebrandt. Um, a f ridiculously talented, legendary fantasy artist uh, who also is one of the interviewees for my documentary. So right. I mentioned both Eric and Kevin's films, uh, not just because they're good and you should check them out, but because they both really motivated me to, to get off my ass. And uh, it's, it's time for a movie uh, on Richard Amsel and, and his life. And uh, the big challenge I have with this film is not just that he is gone and so much time has passed. It's been 35 years now um, since he died. But uh, trying to... How do I put this? It's more than this is more than just uh, a film about a movie poster artist and his art. Uh, it started off that way, but it became so much more. It kind of became something of uh, investigation into his life because in many ways it's something of a mystery. And uh, you have all these different people I've interviewed telling different perspectives and different viewpoints. And you kind of have to piece different pieces of the puzzle together. Did I lose you? You lost me then. Yeah, sorry. I was just going to say, for some reason, as you were talking... Yeah, I saw something I, flash. I'm just going to put a clap in here so I know when okay. to edit. My, I, I got a big warning come up, says okay. your your internet is unstable. Oh, and no. then, it, then it crashed. But it seems to be better now. Cause I've, okay. Yeah, because yeah, I read we'll you loud and clear. Okay. So anyway, um, so essentially the film is also kind of in a Citizen Kane way... Uh, interviewing different subjects, getting different points of view, trying to find some common truths from all these different perspectives. You know, what happens when you get told different things by different people and they don't quite gel? Um, yeah. Did but, you find it a bit like the Woodstock thing where, like, everyone went to Woodstock or everyone was at the first ever Sex Pistols gig, but actually when people say they knew, oh, I know Richard Amso, I, when you talk to them, they didn't really, but now they committed. It's like, oh, yeah, well, I saw one of his posters once. <laughs> uh, no, you know, people were usually very forthcoming in terms of how they knew Richard, you know. Um, and I tried to get, the, you know, fill the whole gamut, uh, you know, friends of his, uh even lovers, uh, fellow artists, uh, people who worked with him, uh, people were inspired by him, uh, you know, over generations now. And uh, some people knew him in a very specific way as, you know, as a student or a classmate. Some people knew him as a friend. But the thing is, Richard Amsel was a very complex person. He compartmentalized a lot of his friendships. So let's say 
the friends in his art circle were not necessarily, you know, exposed to friends who, you know, he knew in the film industry uh, or, you know, even some friends he might have had on the side who were not in art, not in movies, not were not famous. You know, he kept his life separate and he was a very in some ways he was very private. In some ways he was very outgoing to a very small group of people. And uh, by all accounts, he was usually very soft spoken, but also extremely wickedly witty when in the company that he felt comfortable with, you know, and uh, uh, another challenge with this film is that I am trying to bring a historical perspective into this film rather than just focusing exclusively on Richard Amsel. I want to kind of chronicle his life while talking about his artwork. So we're talking about, you know, his early days in, in Philadelphia. Most of his adult life and career were in New York. And uh, so we're also dealing with, uh, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, nightlife in hmm. New York. And also... Mid-80s. You know, yeah. Yes. Well, in, primarily in the 70s and early yeah, 80s. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Sorry, because he died 85, didn't he? 1985. So. And, um, yeah. you know, he was also a homosexual back at a time where uh, even despite all the revolutionary antics of the 60s and 70s, there was still, you know, uh, I, I mean, you look, I, I don't think homosexuality was uh, declassified as a disorder by the American Psychiatric Society, I think, until the early 70s. And even then, you know, a, a homosexual relationship sodomy laws were in place for the longest time. Um, yeah. So, you know, I mean, you look at something like uh, the movie adaptation uh, or the play The Boys in the Band, which really we actually mentioned in one of the interviews in this film because Richard Amsel saw that with a friend of his and saw the Billy Friedkin movie, uh, the original one from the early 70s. And they came out of that. And Richard was not openly gay then, at least to certain friends. And they, he saw that movie. And he, they came out of the movie and he just said he was extremely depressed. Because if uh, you're not familiar with Boys in the Band, it, it, it was kind of revolutionary. It was like one of the first major plays uh, on Broadway uh, that dealt with uh, all these young, openly gay men living, you know, their openly gay lives. But they all, you know, typical of the times and the, the perspectives, you know, they're all very self-loathing. Everyone's so miserable, you know. They were punishing hmm. themselves psychologically. And Amsel felt, in many ways, felt... His, his views reflected that uh, they certainly weren't always that way. Certainly not with everyone. Some people he just, uh, you know, he, he was very, very relaxed with. But uh, certainly in terms of, you know, certain close friendships, uh, his business relationships and his family, he was uh, very shy and soft spoken. But yeah, um, which you get with artists, you find yeah. that you have you have like the, the flamboyant artists who they shout from the rooftops who they are and what they do yeah. and and then you have the very like introspective quiet that you know oh um where you hear stories like after they've passed it's like oh they were very private they stayed at home they never went out they didn't they their three friends and and <laughs> so it's quite funny when you know like obviously with drew i've seen drew's documentary yeah um, you know and drew's not quick gregarious and out there and you know no no wild, no um, wild and crazy guy he's very quiet and private yes, and i think he's a lovely very soft-spoken and he, uh, for my for my money he is like uh, such a beautiful soft-spoken voice i i, I actually joked to eric sharkey yes 
Uh, Eric Sharkey did a wonderful documentary on Drew Struzan, uh, Drew behind the, the man behind the poster. And I spoke with Drew uh, a couple of times. I wrote Drew a rather heartfelt letter a number of years ago when he called me up on the phone and I was just, I was so floored and I'm a bubbling, bumbling mess. And uh, Drew has such a soft spoken, but beautiful voice, a melodious voice. Uh, you know, hi Adam, this is Drew, you know, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I describe it. And I mean, this is a compliment with, with a great deal of affection. Um, it reminded me of the voice of German director Werner Herzog only without the German accent and without the crazy you know, because there's a fine, <laughs> there's a fine line between "Hi, Adam, this is Drew," and "Hello, this is Werner Herzog." The jungle is filled with <laughs> you know, trembles with impending uncertain death. You know, and just <laughs> but uh, you know, and it was just you know, Drew so passionate and uh, talking about beauty, and he and Richard Amsel never met. Uh, and that was always a shame. Oh, really? No, I was going to ask that. They were, whether... they were very much aware of each other's work. And uh, I will say, I'm going to fast forward. We were talking about Richard Amsel chronologically. But Amsel, you know, spent most of his life and career in New York City. He moved to Los Angeles um, just a few months before he died. I think it was the summer of 85. Um, I could be mistaken. But it was in 1985 he moved in and... Uh, you know, I've seen both his uh, apartment buildings in Los Angeles, which was near the uh, Magic Castle, and in New York. Um, and uh, but anyway, so he moved to L.A. and he died, unfortunately, just a few uh, months later. But uh, two major reasons why he moved to L.A. was because first, when it came to movie poster and just illustration art in general, uh, the demand was dwindling dramatically. You know, if you look even through the 70s and early 80s, you know, illustrated movie posters were the norm. And you can make a pretty successful career if you had the talent as an illustrator. Yeah. But then it became more and more limited. You know, certainly big event films, you know, fantasy and sci-fi, uh, you know, and adventure had a lot of illustrated posters. But, um, you know, photo stats and such were becoming more and more common. And illustration was, even then, uh, a dying art. So Amstel knew he had to be competitive. And that's where the work was. And uh, Drew Struzan was also on the rise. Um, and uh, I'll get back to Drew a little bit. But another big, big reason why he moved to Los Angeles was because he was a huge fan of Disney animation. And okay. he wanted to become an animator. Uh, among other things, and uh, he loved the art. Unfortunately, at that time, animation, and Disney in particular, was on kind of a hiatus. It was, uh, Disney had uh, done essentially, you know, a number of animated films in the 70s and 80s, but at that time, they were really kind of stagnant. Um, Don Bluth and a number of, uh, I think, 12 or 13 other animators left Disney in the late 70s to forge their own way. They were so disenchanted by the way Disney was handling things. And uh, so Disney's attempt at a comeback was the Black Cauldron. I think that was 84, 85. Yeah, I remember that. 83 to 85, I can't remember. And that was a rather a, a big commercial disaster. Uh, beautifully made film, but, but still... So at that time, you know, animation was kind of uh, kind of reduced to TV, you know, Saturday morning cartoons and such, largely done out of Japan. 
uh, or, or yes, Korea. Yeah. And uh, so Amsel was teaching himself how to animate. Um, and uh, he actually did an animation pencil test. Comedian uh, uh, Lily Tomlin, who Amsel knew pretty well, he did a portrait of her for uh, Time magazine. And um, anyway, um, she had a character named Edith Ann. And I don't know if you'd be familiar with it in the UK. Younger audiences might not be familiar, but people my age might remember. Uh, she, she would play this role of a little girl, and she would sit in this super oversized chair to make her look like a, ch- a child. So Amsel had done an actual like a pencil animation test that I, I heard was miraculous. Unfortunately, we've not been able to find that footage. Um, oh, no. I've interviewed, and I even interviewed two people who saw it. And, uh, you know, but um, he wanted to get into animation and the fact that it was getting more competitive and, and uh, returning to Drew Struzan, you know, they were very much aware of each other's work. And I think the fact that uh, they never really had the opportunity to meet or become friends was something of a tragedy, you know. Um, and every, you know, I, I talked to a number of people in this documentary, many, many of them artists who, if they didn't know Amsel personally, they knew of his work. And the... When you're, whenever you're talking about Richard Amsel, you're talking about you're you're going to talk about two other people irrevocably come into every conversation. Those are Bob Peake, who who's yeah, really I was going to bring him the, up. The, the the Godfather or grandfather of the illustrated movie poster, Andrew Struzan. Amsel idolized Peake, and uh, there's even a funny story I heard where he somehow got a hold of uh, Bob Peake's phone number. And tried <laughs> calling him up a few times, and every time Bob Peake answered the phone, Ansel was like, eh, and would hang up. He was so shy. So oh, you know, nice. so here's this artist who I idolize, and uh, he himself, you know, we are, you know, the best of us, you know, no matter how good we may be, we're always in awe of the masters. And uh, absolutely, and yeah. What's interesting too is that you know you talk about Peake and Ansel and Struzan, and I. And people often talk about them interchangeably. And I don't think that's necessarily appropriate because for me, their art is very, very different. Certainly, Peake's artwork was much more impressionist. You know, his work for Star Trek and particularly Apocalypse Now, which is, I think, one of the greatest movie posters of all time. It wasn't about getting like a photographic likeness. It was about capturing the essence of that person. Then you have someone on the opposite extreme, someone like Drew Struzan, who can copy or rather reproduce or capture a photographic likeness, but make it better, you know? Yeah. It's, it's not just making something that looks like someone or making something that looks like a photo. Well, if you do that, what's the point? It has to yeah. capture that person's soul. And, and it's that montage yes. that became kind of the structure composition. of the movie poster yes. of composition. And that's something that Drew kind yes. of and, you know, got more well known for. If you look at their artwork, it is different. Yeah, and composition is really, really hard because you have a lot of artists who are extremely technically skilled and very, very talented, but they don't have that aesthetic sense of composition. I'm not saying that I have it. I don't. I ain't got nothing. But, um, <laughs> but Drew, you know, like, uh, and you see his work in person or you see Richard Amsel's work in person or Bob Peake's work in person. You know, the movie poster itself, as with poster art in general, uh, the nature of poster artwork is an artist creates it and it's designed, it's manufactured for them, it, it, for reproduction. You know, it's not, to, you know, the intent is not to put it in gallery museums. It's to put 
reproductions on billboards and such for advertising exactly and we're talking and we're also talking like no photoshop yeah. no no tech like if you if you if drew or richard or someone does a poster they don't get to email it for or, or put it through slack for someone to go hey give us some feedback on this and you like and also the different mediums of like artists through pencil drawing paints watercolors oils you know that they are they were very tactile ways of creating the poster artwork so you've got that to consider as well and the magic of seeing some of this work you know i've seen a number of drew's originals uh drew gave a lecture back in 2000 early two. i remember february 2006 i went to that i was like one of like 12 or 13 people there and uh, it was a small, intimate setting, and he was just talking about his career and his experiences. But he actually had some of his original pieces there, and seeing it in person with you know your own eyes is just so magical. And uh, um, also seeing Richard Amsel's work, and you know I have some of his original pieces uh, from like his. He did a self-portrait as part of an exercise to get into college, and, uh, wow. and some of his early sketches and such. You know, or an early paperback book cover, you know, just and having it it, 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 it just it, it takes on it's like, wow, someone actually touched this. Someone actually made this. And when I describe yeah. Richard Amsel or that generation, I describe it as pencil versus pixel. Because, you know, certainly using uh, computers and digital technology is a skill. It really is. And it is a discipline. But uh, there's something that is for me, it would be a great tragedy if the traditional methods and mediums of paint and pencil and and uh, everything else, you know, uh, canvas and such are lost. And that's why, you know, we mentioned Paul Shipper and Paul works digitally almost exclusively for most of his stuff now. But what mm. I love about Paul's work is that, you know, he trained as a traditional artist. Yes. And he brings that traditional aesthetic and it's some of the best people out there, you know, people like Paul and uh, another artist, I think comes to mind, um, uh, Jason Palmer, Blake Armstrong. Okay. Um, yeah. They are able to work and capture that traditional aesthetic. Even if it's done digitally, they have an appreciation for the original aesthetic. And that's something that's, that's magical. We need that. We can't lose that. So I salute them. Yeah. And, uh, Someone I spoke to Paul about, funny enough, was someone I'm hoping to get on the podcast one day because he is actually English and lives in L.A. And that was Kyle Lambert. And I Kyle, interviewed Kyle for my did... documentary. Yeah. He's a, he's so a Kyle... young guy. I mean, I met him. It's like, yeah, like the fucker, you know, just he's so young. He's like, <laughs> he's got, I know. These guys are so much better than me and they're not even shaving. I'm like, I get so angry. But no. Exactly. And, and then you see it and he goes, oh, yeah, I did that on Procreate. And, and you look at all the Stranger Things stuff, all originally yeah. done on Procreate. And he did um, a couple of other TV shows. I think he did Blacklist and uh, there was a time travel one I really liked. And, and like, you're thinking, wow, this is just the guy. The, he's like in his 20s and he's already got this major franchise. Yeah. But it is a modern world, you know, and in tw- 20, 30 years time, goodness knows what we'd be yeah. looking at. I don't know whether we'll regress or go forward. but 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 yeah, it is interesting that they still... Even like if you look at Kyle and then, you know, Paul being a little bit older. And funnily enough, Kyle and Paul went to the same university. Oh, I didn't know that. Not, not together. Oh, wow. Yeah, Manchester. I should have gone there. So, um, um, oh, yeah. Well, I probably wouldn't have been able to get in because I'm not that good. But uh, but they still try yeah. to 
mimic that look of yeah. Richard and Drew but and John. What I like and, so much about their work too is that they do their own spin. You know, uh, you know, so many people have copied Amsel, so many people have copied Strew, Drew Struzan, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, <laughs> inspired by, inspired, not well, copied, well, inspired by. <laughs> uh, but, but you know, it's being able to take that. You know, just as a- Richard Amsel was inspired by people like you know, Amsel was very open about people who influenced him. You know, he, he was very open about his admiration of Bob Peake and his admiration of Lion Decker. You know, and, mm. and that's one of the things that really appealed to me so much about his artwork is that he imbued his artwork with a sense of nostalgia. Not just for old movies, but, uh, you know, for the old masters. And even though he varied his style deliberately. Hold on one second. (laughs) Alexa, off. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Um, What I like so much about Richard Amsel's work is that even though he worked in many, many different styles, I mean, whether as a graphic designer or traditional acrylic or, you know, acrylic colored pencil airbrushing was his most common, um, sometimes oil. But uh, however he varied his work, he was always experimenting and trying new things. But at the same time, there was always something uniquely Amsel about the work, you know? So you can yeah. look at the Sting, which is Lion Decker inspired. It's still an Amsel. You'll look at... Yes. Uh, Hello, Dolly, which was uh, kind of a breakdown into this uh, bold graphic art and collage with actually like glued on colored construction paper and whatever. It's still an Amsel. And then uh, his work also not just evolved, but it improved. I mean, you look at Raiders of the Lost Ark, my God. And then finally, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Um, I've seen the art, the original artwork. Uh, A man owns it now. I interviewed and uh, you see it and just all the detail and Tina Turner's hair and everything that the movie poster just doesn't do justice, you know, the reprint. Am I right in saying that was his last piece? It was his last completed piece. His last completed piece. That movie came out, I yeah. believe, in the summer of 85 in the States. Um, he was going to do the movie poster for the Romancing the Stone sequel, Jewel of the Nile. Okay, and he had yeah. actually done, he had started doing some sketches of, Kathleen Turner and Michael Douglas, and you know, um, and but he died. And uh, seeing those, it, it's interesting how it differed from the final poster. I believe the final poster for Jewel of the Nile was done. I could be wrong. Uh, Robert Rodriguez, not the director, but the illustrator. Yeah, and it was very comic. You know, uh, Michael Douglas and everyone swinging from a rope. Yeah. Uh, whereas Amsel's just initial sketches, it, it was much more romantic. It was like close-ups of Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner and such. Yeah. And he was, uh, I, I think, you know, interesting in his life. From what I know, I can't be, presume, again, to ever speak for Richard Amsel, but just from what I know from all the people I've talked to, you know, he had many lovers and many loves, but he never had really a muse or one true great love. He never really had the opportunity to grow up. You know, and that, that's why some people described yeah. him as Peter Pan. There was always something childlike about him. And uh, he had no head for money. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, as successful as he was and as, as much money as he might have made, it kind of, I hate to say, slipped through his fingers. And that's uh, another problem that uh, he faced that we actually address in the film. 
he owed a substantial amount of money to the IRS, the Internal Revenue Service, American taxes. Yes. Uh, he just, you know, whether he didn't file or just didn't know what he was doing, but it got to the point where I think in 1981, he called up his friend David Byrd, uh, who's a legendary illustrator himself, and uh, essentially told David, it's like, they've just taken my entire life savings and checking and everything like that. You know, so, you know, he would work, but he had to work for money too, you know, and he was successful, yeah. but he always needed, he always needed to earn a paycheck. He never, never rested on his laurels. And even times when he was sick, you know, I, uh, people would tell me there were, there was, I think he had a bout of hepatitis one time and he, he still had to fight to, to complete a TV guide cover done on time. And, uh, <sighs> you know, it, it just, and, and crazy. Um, but he was always working and always struggling, but always working and improving. And I, I mentioned Mad Max in particular because you look at the detail of that piece, the long flowing hair, and it's mm. just extraordinary. And I kind of describe it as a very, very controlled chaos. Um, not that his work is... Which is the, which is the film. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's not that the art is chaotic, but he, he would use all these, you know, from pastels to pencils, lines going in all these different directions, you know, wax pencils, layers of airbrushing. But the composition is just meticulous. And, uh, and you see some of his early work, too, like in person. And even a lot of the stuff he did that was never used. You know, some of his work, you know, he lost campaigns to other artists. Um, and you see it, it's just meticulous. It's like a machine did it. It was just so exact. Uh, and no command Z, command Z, no control Z, yeah. no yeah. going back, no undoing. It's just, Which is what I live you on. commit to it. You yeah. fully committed to it. Yeah. <laughs> what did you, um, so obviously from the time you've spent on the documentary, the, the start at the start when you kind of decided to take on this project, yeah. what was the first thing? like the first thing you did that really got that ball rolling? Who oh, was the... Well, I, I'm going to say in full disclosure, I tried working with Richard Amsel's family for a year. And I, you know, it did not work out. I'll just leave it at creative differences and leave it at that. I have no, mm. I bear no ill will towards them whatsoever. And uh, they, you know, and I've made it very, very clear to them that they have an open invitation to participate in this movie if they want. Uh, because... I, you know, they deserve to have their voices heard. And I vow right here and now, even though the film is still just at the assembly stage, you know, I am trying to be as fair and balanced, not in a Fox News way, but in a genuine way, <laughs> you know, as, as, as I can try to hear all these different perspectives, you know, because, uh, um, you know, you're dealing, you know, you're dealing with different accounts and such, and it's easy to paint in broad strokes, but it's not fair. And so, uh, so anyway, so that was one thing in the early stages, trying to work with a family with, with, and that was frustrating. Um, I was rather heartbroken, but it got to the point where it's like, okay, I have to do this. I need to continue doing this. And, uh, at that time, the two people who I, this film would not have been possible without their, not just participation, but their support and their friendship, two people, David Edward Bird and Judith Davis Goldman both who were very close friends of Richard Amsel's. Both have been extremely supportive of the project. Both have heard many conversations of me calling them in the wee hours, sometimes on the verge of tears, needing emotional support. And uh, if it had not been for them, there would be uh, no documentary. Um, 
So Eric and Kevin, you know, gave the impetus for the inspiration of the movie, uh, just doing it. But uh, uh, Judy and David, who I'm so proud and honored to, you know, have their trust and their faith, uh, that means everything to me and, uh, and their friendship. Um, so, so yeah. Uh, so that is really what's sort of getting the ball rolling. And, uh, and also just finding more and more and more art that would come in. I mean, uh, one person who's uh, helping me now on the project, he actually came across uh, some artwork Amsel did back when he was still a student in, in college. And uh, it was wow. used in a newspaper or a magazine. I never saw it before. You know, it's like, oh, my God. You know, so there's always, you know, you're rediscovering lost how do they find it i mean is it is this stuff because i know from drew's documentary he lost a yes. lot of his artwork yes. and eventually got it back yeah. and obviously like like as a graphic designer when we talk about uh design on packaging back in the days this stuff goes out into the wild and they move on to the yeah. next one they never even thought that their stuff would be collectible or valuable yeah. it's just job done move on what's the well, next paying think, you know, gig the big part, you know when i say you know the art that's lost there you're too you could either talk about the actual physical artwork or you could talk about just art that he did that was reproduced and then no one remembered it you know and this was the latter was such a case it was just a obscure newspaper illustration but it's like wow you know um, and, uh, one person just on that note, I'll, I'll get back to the, the previous mm-hmm. question. Um, uh, in the early days of my creating the website, you know, there were some paperback book covers that I came across and I couldn't quite, the thing is you find reproductions or whatever, you can't quite make out the signature. And, uh, there was a signature that almost looked like Amsel. Instead, it was Mizell. And very Jay Mizell. Uh, no, uh, Anne. Oh no, yeah, no. Anne Mizell, and she was an illustrator contemporary of Richards, and she had a very similar style. And so, back in both their early careers, you know, they both did all these paperback book covers, and some were mistakenly attributed to Richard Amsell. Well, I tried finding Ams uh, Anne Mizell for years. I had heard rumors that you know th- there was no social media with her, nothing. I heard rumors that she was uh, in Northern California working for Lucasfilm. I contacted Lucasfilm. They didn't know what I was talking about. Heard rumors that she was in Europe. I, in, I found her uh, a little over a, a year ago. She's living in New York, and we did the interview. And she was amazing because not only was she a contemporary of Richard Amstel's, she was a close friend of his, and they were classmates. And uh, just extraordinary, you know, and she kind of retired from illustration, but uh, her stuff is just extraordinary, you know, and she had done uh, other TV guide covers and such. So she, 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 she was very, very funny, witty woman of great personality, you know. Um, But uh, anyway, so we were talking about more the impetus of, of making the movie. And uh, so, and then finding out more about Richard Amsel, the person, because uh, finding out more about him changed my mindset. It's like, okay, if, if I was just going to make a film about the artwork, this film would have already been done. It would have been mm. done years ago. But now it's about him. Uh, so it must be quite emotional yes. because when it's like a hero of yours and then you're speaking to his closest friends and, and colleagues and you're starting to kind of build a personality picture yeah. of this person that you've never met, I can imagine it must be very emotional and quite overwhelming sometimes when you're being brought further into his life 
and hearing these stories. Well, I, you know, you've addressed a very sensitive topic, and uh, it, it's one that haunts me. I mean, pretty much not a day goes by where I might not have some crisis of conscience and ask myself, it's like, would Richard Amsel approve of the film? Yeah. And a number of his friends insist, oh, yes, he'd be so happy and honored by what you're doing. But, you know, the back of my mind, there's always a seed of doubt. It's like, you know, what gives you the right to talk about to air certain dirty laundry? And I'm like, well, that's not my intention. But, I, you know, I, no. you know, I, I want to make more than just a Valentine. I want to make something that's truthful. And uh, he was a, a very complex person. I mean, look at, you know, think of our own lives. What if, you know, God forbid something happens to us and then 35 years from now, someone decides to make a movie about us? What yeah. would people say? And, you know, things that we might not even consider, you know, it's like, oh, I did this in college or what have you, or I, you know, got a speeding ticket, whatever. You know, how will that be construed? You know, how will that be interpreted? You know, well, look at what I mean, just in coming off the subject a little bit. I mean, look at the world we're living in today. Oh. People who who maybe 30 years ago, a guy dressed as a lady at a party now has become famous. It's like, how disrespectful we did this. Or yeah. we had the whole kind of blackface thing yes. coming out. Is this stuff that we did do 30 years ago, which was in its time part of day-to-day -day fabric of life, that 30 years on, that's the thing they focus on. They forget the 99% the of amazing things you did and focus on the 1% that now seems different or wrong. And, you know, we are talking about a man who was, op who was gay in the 80s when it wasn't a good time to come out. Um, and, you know, it, it, you know, and here I'm going to dare to be a little personal and throw a little bit of my... Not, this is not the Adam McDaniel story. Nor should it be, but uh, my, you know, but my own you know personal experience, you know, uh, I am a gay man, surprise, and I'm a nerd, uh, what have you. But uh, you know, I'm getting married next month, and how great that you can do that! I know, no, I hear you know my jaw just hit the floor. You know, it's like even recently, I never thought that that would even be an option in some ways i would joke with my friends it's like well now i have an excuse not to get married i have you know um but you know it's like holy cow you know how far we come but also at the same time you know we talk about how progressive many things are particularly you know, in the states and and i you know i think the uk and certainly germany germany's more liberal now than you know they're yeah. showing the rest of the world how it's done in australia um but at the same time there's also you know this dichotomy paradox where you know we have uh, we're ending uh, a presidential administration that is anything but liberal and, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and kind of this extraordinary you could say oh we've made so many steps but you know we haven't come far enough and that you know there will always be homophobia unfortunately there will always be racism there will yes. always be some kind of discrimination against some group by another. And, uh, you know, I just... Uh, it does hit me... You know, I, I, you know... I do have a number of friends who are HIV positive. They've been living with it for, you know, sometimes longer than 20 years, you know, with medications and advancements and such. And one of the heartbreaking things... Uh, about this film and some of the interviews I've done, you know, Judy Goldman, you know, who admitted Richard to the hospital and such, and she worked as, uh, you know, I think she, I think she worked as a nurse or no, no, I'm sorry. 
she did work at the hospital, but I don't think she was yeah. nurse. But uh, she told me that uh, you know, had Richard been ill now, they would have very likely easily be able to treat him, and he, you know, would have moved on. Would have extended yeah. his life. Yeah, I yeah. mean, uh, some friends of mine are HIV positive, and it's not even detectable. But at the same time, you know, um, I remember just, uh, you know, and again, I was very, very young. I mean, just growing up in the 80s when Rock Hudson died and such. And, and then even in, you know, I went to a very liberal college. I went to Vassar College, extremely liberal. But again, even among the gay community, AIDS or, you know, HIV or fear of, you know, it's like, oh, if you're gay, you're going to get this. Or if you have this, yeah. you are going to die. And, yeah. you know, that's just holy shit, you're terrified to have sex, you know, and just, you know, it's, it's really getting personal, but, uh, you know, so my fascination with Richard Amsel's work had actually nothing to do with sexual orientation, which I did not know of, of you know, about any of the mm. details of his personal life uh, until the, you know, the last 10, 15 years. For me, that personally was irrelevant to admiring the art. Um, however, you know, another... Legendary illustrator J.C. Leyendecker, who, who was also gay at a time when you did not talk about it. And his brother, F.X. Leyendecker, uh, I think, um, was also gay. And his brother drank himself to death, essentially. Uh, oh, wow. Know. And so much of Leyendecker, here, here we're talking about legacies and artistic, you know, uh, loss and such. But uh, when Leyendecker died, his uh, partner, Charles Beach... Uh, who modeled for him is pretty much the arrow collar man. Uh, you know, after, you know, Lion Decker's death, you know, he was selling just like in a yard sale all these original artworks of uh, J.C. Lion Decker's stuff. And, oh, wow. And, but he also destroyed or burned uh, uh, all their personal love letters between them. And uh, it's such a shame that uh, that entire history now, is, you know, it, that story is gone. There was a play, I never got to see it, um, wonderful play I heard about called The Man, uh, or In Love, The Man Who Loved, the, no, In Love with the Arrow Collar Man, which uh, was a fictionalized account of uh, Lion Decker's romance with Charles Birch, or Beach, Beach, um, sorry. Um, anyway, so moving forward to Richard Amsel, it's like, you know, these two great artists who, you know, one takes so much inspiration from the other, you know, uh, both kind of living this very secretive, life and whatever strides might have been made in the 70s you know there was still considerable pressure and then uh it, it gets very very moving when we're talking about uh, there's another thing too not just talking about the time and period uh you know of new york and sex drugs rock and roll and, and what have you but also we're talking about aids and that's the final act of, of the film um and how you know even the hospital where richard was when he was dying Nurses were frightened to touch him, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and all the kind of uh, hushed whispers and secret, secretive nature of uh, his death, um, you know, his uh, obituary and variety attributed his death not to AIDS or AIDS complications, but to pneumonia. Um, you know, I talked to a number of people who went to his funeral, you know, and who interacted with his family. And just kind of all these hushed, quiet, uncomfortable things, you know. Yeah. And that's a heartbreaking experience. I mean, for the friends and for the family, you have to, you know, you have to give everyone some degree of credit because we're all human. 
and uh, we all mourn in our own way, you know. And uh, uh, one common question I ask everyone, uh, all the people I've interviewed at the end of the interview is like, what would you say to Richard if he was still here? And some of them are just, you know, don't know what to say. I don't, you know, and then someone turned it around to me. He's like, what would you ask Adam? I'm like, yeah. I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, I'd be terrified. You know, they say never meet your heroes, you know? And, uh, you know, it's like, I'd be frightened to ask the question, do you approve? But, you know, I would want him to know, I, I would tell him, you know, thank him for his work and how it changed my life. I mean, as much as movies did, you know, his work meant, I think that's that's that is a big thing that is you've you've touched on something there it, it is when you do when you are fortunate enough to meet somebody like as we call our yeah. heroes I think it's important regardless of their background and the world they're in is to let them know the influence yeah. they've had on you the effect they've had on you where and I've heard stories where people have been like the lowest yeah. of low and a saw so and a song has dragged them out of it a film has dragged them out of it a book has dragged them out of it and the influence they don't realize they have on yeah. people that when you get to meet them i think it's important to tell them why you yeah. value who they are and i and, and i think a lot of people don't hear it enough i get so shy you know there, there were a number of times uh i'd be in the, someone you know, like someone like steven spielberg or george lucas's company in a room <laughs> and I wouldn't say anything. I wouldn't, you know, I, I'm just like, you know, and even Drew Struzan, uh, I've, you know, I've been at several art functions and whatever, you know, before we talked on the phone uh, or even after we talked on the phone, I was still too shy to talk to him because I didn't want to be a yeah. nuisance, you know, and I just, okay, you know, and it, you'd rather, and, you'd rather admire from afar yeah. than do anything that for a moment he would think, Oh God, is Adam. Yeah. Like... I know, which is, you know, I mean, I, I kind of joke about that. It's like, I don't want him to think I'm stalking him, you know, and, uh, or, or that I'm a nuisance or something. And you, you don't want to make it about you, which is why I never ask for autographs it, because then it becomes something like materialistic for me. It just seems cheap. And yeah, it's a different thing. It's become a transaction yeah. it's really like, in a way. Because then it becomes about you where you just have to tell someone, well, you know, your work means a lot to me and you don't have to say anything. Mm. Just, I want you to know because I like it to shake their hand and say to them I'm a big I'm a big admirer of your work I love your work or that this is my favorite thing you did means a lot yeah. to me um I I don't don't do the autograph thing yeah. uh I don't even like doing the selfie no no because for me is, memories uh, are priceless those are the best yeah those are the best things that I'd rather have a, a happy memory than say oh can we have yeah. a selfie and then and then move on and then post it on Facebook. Exactly. I, you know. I think it kind of. Um, all right. There are some. Uh, there is one instance. It's going no, to this interview. I mean, yeah. there, there, there was there was one instance where I was in the company. Of, so uh, sh long story, incredibly short. It's my older brother is really good friends with Keith Richards. Oh, okay. So I've been lucky enough to be around the Rolling Stones and sat in Keith's dressing room and travelled in the car to and from the gig with him. And it is quite weird because I tend not to talk to him. I wait until he talks yeah. to me. But um, because of that, we get good tickets for the Rolling Stones. And I went to Hyde Park and I saw somebody in our enclosure, like Friends of the Stones kind of thing. And I stopped and I had to keep looking and looking and looking. I'm like, I had to convince myself that is this the person who I think it is? And I was 100% sure by looking at various angles. So I went over to her husband <coughs> and I said... I really hope don't you don't mind me 
um, coming up and asking. But would it be possible to have a photograph taken with your wife, please? Because apart from the fact I obviously grew up watching her on TV, I have a hundred friends who would kill me because I've had the photograph taken. And he was like, yeah, sure, sure. And he calls his wife over, Linda Carter, Wonder Woman. And it's like, how could I not go and have a photograph of Linda Carter? Carter Yeah. So it's like, she put her arm around me. She's like, oh, yeah, come here, come here. Put her arm around me, give me a big grin. And uh, I thanked her. I said, I appreciate it's your personal time. And I, I I know you probably, you know, it's annoying when you're out and you get people. But I said, this is a once in a lifetime for me. I said, I know we're in the eclosion for the Rolling Stones. I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky enough I get to do this. But I'll never get to, yeah. to meet Linda Carter that ever is again. That's so awesome. That's amazing. Oh, wow. So there are exceptions, yeah, I mean, but I generally, I get what you mean. I, I, I met Karen Allen, but I was a teenager at the time. I was doing volunteer work for the New Jersey uh, uh, Shakespeare Festival. They had a big fundraising event in New Jersey, and Karen Allen was one of the guests there. And I is this Animal House era Karen Allen? Uh, no, no, no. This was uh, this was nineteen ninety one. Oh, okay. So she was in her early forties. She looked fantastic. I mean, yeah. she still does. I think she's a very she has a very unusual beauty about her, but yeah, um, uh, she looked I mean pretty much the same way she did in Raiders, and I was about sixteen at the time, very goofy, but I was so madly in love with her because Ra- Ra- Raiders and everything like that, and so we took a picture, and she was so lovely. Um, I tried to get her to interview for this film. And uh, she wasn't available. Uh, she also kind of said, well, you know, I didn't, I don't really know what I can contribute. But she was, the fact that I got a response and she was very lovely, uh, you know, that, that says something. I mean, she was very courteous. And I was very grateful for that, you know, because in making a film like this, uh, you want to, how do I put this? And I'm kind of this way with uh, Drew and some other people too. You know, there's, there can be a fine line between being determined and respectful and being creepy and annoying and you know <laughs> i don't want to cross that you know so i always want to try to yeah it lightly it's like you know i don't want to intrude or anything like that you know but please think about it you know and uh so you know so i'm very grateful for all the conversations i've had even you know and I, even with this documentary you know i'll meet someone and we'll do like a coffee or something and just banter and get a feel for each other then sometimes the interview for whatever reason life gets in the way with their schedules or what have you you know um we don't do the interview for another one or two years later wow and um i had did you i'm sorry go ahead oh sorry i was gonna say did you find at all during the process you as as people started to get to understand the respect you were showing richard and the work that you get that, oh, you, I'll tell you who you need to speak to. I'll contact them for you. That's or here's a name of someone yes, you need that, to speak that's to. That's yeah. happened a few times. And uh, that's how I got one person I interviewed was Bruce Valanche. You might not know the name, but he's a kind of a famous uh, writer. And he was a fixture on Hollywood Squares. Um, he, he was one of the co-writers of the Star Wars Holiday Special. Uh, oh, okay. You know, but no, he's he, <laughs> the much you know, loved. But he, he's, he's written for the Oscars and the Emmys and everything, and he's won numerous awards. But he's he's hilarious. You'd recognize him if you saw him. He's kind of this uh, rotund, very thick-rimmed glasses, uh, blonde hair, uh, you know, with long blonde hair with uh, bad bangs or you know square bangs. <laughs> kind of a uh, 
bearish gay guy and he knew Richard Amsel personally and he gave a fantastic interview. He had us all cracking up. I had me and two of my friends were helping out on the shoot and uh, he started, you know, just talking. It's, I mean, brilliant, just off the top of his head, no rehearse script or anything like that. And uh, you, know, so you, you meet someone who's able to talk off the top of their head better than imp- improvising than anything you could ever write, you know. But the thing is, he was so funny. We had to stop the camera a number of times because we were cracking up so much. <laughs> um, and it's just, you know, that's another thing with this movie, too. I feel not just because of Amsel's personal legacy, but I feel that uh, meeting and, and sometimes befriending a number of people, it's a great honor. And it's like, you know, I, I, I don't think any film I could do will ever live up to the bar that they have raised so much. You know? Yeah. And uh, so that's a lot of pressure. Um, you know, I just hope I could do something that people will enjoy, be illuminated by and maybe find some, some heartfelt meaning or substance, you know? And uh, well, I think it's good that people are going to learn about somebody and their art where, cause quite often when people go, Oh, you know, Oh, Prince has died or Michael Jackson's died or so-and-so's died. As as much as that sucks, what I always say though is, but you think of the generation now who maybe weren't really aware of these actors that have died recently is their work comes to the forefront again. Their their back catalogue gets reshared. It's they may have died physically, but their work comes back again and gets appreciated again where maybe it would have been lost. And and obviously with you with this project, uh, you are you know I I knew the name, I hadn't realised how much of his work I realised w- was his. I automatically you know you think oh well I know Drew Struzan, I know John Alvin, I didn't really know Richard, so I was mis kind of appropriating the work to oh that's that's Drew that must be Drew's or that must be John's, so that's really cool. Now with the project, you you are still obviously working on it when for you is kind of done because designers say done is better than perfect well covid threw a big wrench in the machine and uh, because there were more interviews i was planning to do this year Uh, that's all on hold indefinitely Hmm. in the meantime um been going through footage and uh, still doing just a rough assembly of you know because the way i'm editing here is i'm focusing on the most important interviews first you know with david and judy and some other key figures that forms the backbone and the spine of the movie and then i'm going to pepper it with other other things because you know you have to be cognizant of the running time and what have you um Mm. so it's kind of unorthodox and uh it's taking its time and also you know so you know again i here i here's another you know barbara walters moment um (laughs) <laughs> where so much my life had a lot of upheaval uh you know the, the last uh you know my uh between 2017 and last year you know in less than it was about 15 months my father died my uncle died i had to deal with their you know deal with their estates had to you know help deal with selling my dad's house and he was on the other side of the country um my uh, fiance had a heart attack and, oh. uh, you know, I had taken, actually, I had planned for a while to take, I had been working at Warner Brothers at the time, and I planned uh, to take three months time off to recuperate and just, you know, 
I was exhausted. And I also wanted to gonna focus more back on the film a little bit. And the first week I just rested and slept and it was great. I was exercising. I'm like, yes. Second week, my fiance had a heart attack. And uh, so the rest of my time off was dedicated to essentially, you know, helping him. Looking after, and, yeah. Uh, I don't regret that at all. Uh, and he pulled through, thank God. Um, but that was scary. Um, but, but that also made me kind of uh, see the relationship in a different light. And so we, we got engaged after that. And uh, he proposed to me. He had been, oh, he's going to kill me for saying all this. He had been broaching the subject for a long time. And I would kind of shyly, coyly, like giggle and like, I don't know, maybe, you know. But after that, it's like, yeah. <laughs> so, so then we got engaged and then we bought like a house and we moved in together. And that was a big step for me. And it's the first time I ever owned property. And, uh, you know, being in Southern California is so damn expensive. Carl's so, going to say, but yeah. But this was all in the span of about 15 months. And so, and I was still trying to make progress with the movie and such. And I was also working a full-time job. And uh, so now I'm working on the film again. And uh, I have worked in cycles with different groups of people, um, it, including you know, some of the most fun things, doing some of the animation, you know, uh, pretty much do all that by myself with some exceptions. And I would work with people, volunteers, we do remote sessions and such, and they would come up with some good ideas and, and uh, so that was so much fun. Um, now I'm actually working with a small team dealing with archival research, as I said, trying to find uh, stock footage and video and photos of, you know, uh, Amsel's, uh, uh, trying to show the reach of Amsel's work, uh, you know, whether it's like how his work was on billboards everywhere or some of the yeah. subjects and personalities uh, that he, you know, painted and did portraits of. Um, any footage of him yes. being interviewed? Yes. Yeah. All oh, right. Um, and actually, you know, uh, Kevin Burke's documentary starts out with an interview with Richard Amsel. I was the one who gave Kevin that interview. Uh, um, it was conducted by a uh, um, a local TV company in New York, and it, it was a, a like one of those independent public access channels that I think yeah, catered yeah. to the gay and lesbian community. This was back, I think, in 1977, 78, called the Emerald City. And Richard Amsel and my friend David Bird both interviewed for this little thing. And it's very funny, uh, very cute. But that's the only interview I have of Richard Amsel actually talking about his work. I do have some of Amsel's home movies um, that David okay. Bird gave me. Uh, but most of the time, Amsel is actually behind the camera. Rarely is he, is he in front. And when he's in front, it's very fleeting. That's a huge challenge with this movie because there are even so few photographs and very, very little video footage of Amsel himself. So, you know, I mean, he's the subject of the movie. There's hardly anything yeah. of the man himself. And it's so frustrating. And uh, That photograph of the... Because I was going to ask you about the book as well, because you're not just working on yes. the film. You're working on the... But, you know, why not do one... Why do two... Why, not, why do one thing when you can do well, yeah. two? Yeah. But when I, when I saw the book cover... It's funny because my instant reaction was, oh, wow, he looks like David Copperfield. <laughs> yes, he does. He did. Very much, yes. Yeah. And even that book cover, uh, that's not final artwork, but uh, that is a, I hate to spoil the illusion, but that is a very, very doctored photo. Uh, the head of Richard Amsel and the hair are his, you know, and he's behind an easel and sitting in a chair, you know, and yeah. the collar of the sweater is his. Everything else, uh, that's... Photoshop, those are my Photoshop skills. 
Oh, I had really? a neighbor friend uh, pose in a navy blue oversized sweater. That was mine. He put it on Photoshop. I lightened it and everything else. Uh, that is that is a, I'm going to share this yeah, on the yeah. on the podcast uh, notes and that. But that is a cracking bit of Photoshop because oh, I would that I would have said that's a picture of him. Um, he looks a little bit like Richard Carpenter as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I it's got that kind so of. So I added him, but... kind of a glow because I wanted to kind of make him look like this ethereal. It's great lighting, yeah. And that that's doctored a little bit, too. I added the glow. Um, so, yeah, the canvas, the body are all separate elements. And uh, and the fact that, you know, um, I know he was left-handed because he did a self-portrait that I, that right. I actually own. It's in my, in my hallway. Back when he was uh, maybe, let's see, it was, nine, I think, 65. He, he painted it, or 66. And uh, he's, so he's even holding the pen, the, paintbrush the same way um because i yeah. don't think in real life he, he would never let anyone photograph him working he was very private that way so but uh, yeah no i was trying to get kind of this uh magical trying to capture because he, he was a very handsome man but uh you know trying to get that magical quality about him so so sorry if i ruined it um no no that, yeah. that is it's, it's a lovely photograph of him and and it was just like when you it's like with yourself. I mean, like when I'm interviewing people that I've never met, I try not to find out who they are. Um, it's like I do like the reverse of stalking. I find out information, but I like the surprise of meeting someone for the first time and, the joy and of kind of getting to know them. You know? Yeah, exactly. So. Um, so obviously we're talking about the picture on the book. So we've talked a lot about the film. I mean, how have you found the process then of working on a book and the okay. film because they are two such very di well, different disciplines yes and no i mean this let, let me just you know come out and say that the book is still in very very early development stages yeah um but it's going to happen uh the main reason why i'm announcing it now is first uh i don't think a, a week or two go by where someone doesn't ask me will there be a book on richard why hasn't there been a book on richard well, yeah. there will be, you know, and how that's going to, you know, I have not found a publisher. I haven't really shopped it around because I want to get more substance done, but it's going to be in tandem with the movie and the yeah. interviews done for the film are going to be, I'm thinking of doing the book, not so much like a standard narrative prose, you know, written biography, mm. but rather kind of like an transcribing an oral history of all these yes. different, you know, because yeah. I don't want to be the narrative voice of the Richard Amsel's life and story. I don't have that right, I don't think. I did not know him. But I'm going to let other people, you know, speak for him. Tell his story. And then I'm yeah. going to pepper that, of course, with my own commentary about his work. And also, so much work. I mean, I have a website on his work. But there's so, I mean, for, you know, so many new images, you know, uh, digitally restored images, new high-quality images completely new discoveries you know hundreds of images that have never been published before that i'm looking to do now if this comes down to my having to self-publish through some print-on-demand service i will because you know that was not an option even really 10 years ago and the cost would have been really, no you know but the technology is there and uh i have to give a shout out to two other people or even, even three um about the book first is uh Tom Peake, who did a, a, a great book on his, two books on his father, 
um, which I've yeah. got a Japanese version yeah. of one of them because I couldn't I couldn't afford the English language oh, oh, one. Really? But I managed I managed to track yeah I managed to track oh, down. Oh, you should talk to Tom. Um, He's very approachable and you know just yeah. But uh, Tom, uh, that was his passion project, you know, archiving his his father's work, and he did that pretty much on his own. And he told me, you know, when he, when he started working on that, he didn't know the first thing about publishing. You know, I at least know something, but he you know, yeah. he did this beautiful book. You know, uh, and then there was uh, Andrea Alvin, John Alvin's widow, who I interviewed. And she's such a lovely person. She lives in New York, uh, and uh, she did a book uh, on John's work. And, uh, uh, then of course, Drew Struzan's month, you know, wonderful books. Um, I don't, yeah, and his wife's lovely as yeah, well. Yeah, Dylan, she's, 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 she's fantastic. Yeah. She's, yeah. I think, uh, she's, she's, she's really, uh, I think the brains and, uh, <laughs> the management. Well, when I, say, I don't, I don't mean that to, in any disrespect to Drew. No, no I know no, what no, you no, mean. Just, uh, you know, I, I, and I, I would tell, you know, people like Eric Sharkey and such, it's like, and I think I even I even told Drew, it's like, you know, Richard never had the benefit of having someone like Dylan at his side. Mm. You know, he never had a muse, someone to look after him, you know, uh, his business yeah. interests and such, because he had no head for it. You know, my friend David Bird, uh, such a brilliant artist and eccentric and wonderful, God bless him. You know, um, his husband, Jolino, is also a very talented artist, but Jolino, uh, you know, would tell me that uh, you know he is uh kind of taken upon himself to help promote david's work and such and uh so he's in many ways david's muse you know and uh, i think that that was uh, amsel probably wouldn't have had all the troubles he might have had if if you know he had someone giving and generous and smarts enough to be there for him and also who he could trust and open himself up because I yeah. don't think he really ever, well, I'm speaking in a generalization and that's not fair of me. It's, it's like the presumption of arrogance on my part. Um, no, but it makes, yeah, it I makes just, sense. Yeah, I, I know what you mean is really was able to open up to anyone fully. Uh, but then I'm, you know, I'm putting words out there that maybe I shouldn't, you know, because I, I never met him personally. I wish I had. Uh, he might have given me a broken nose. I don't know. But uh, his you know, work meant so much to me. It always will. And he was... Uh, how do I put this? I keep saying he was complex, but that doesn't even, even that doesn't categorize him very well. Uh, I could say that he was a genius, but I think that's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, there are many different f facets to his personality and... Uh, kind it's like an he's a nice enigma yeah he's he's an enigma and yeah. I, I describe him that way too but you know because there there was in many ways something very kind and tender and generous with him but there was also saying i th i i just think something fragile and some a wounded quality a childlike wounded mm. quality that uh, and you know i talk about his family and i always I like to believe that had he lived longer and had a little more age and experience and such, you know, that uh, some of the, I don't want to say broken bridges, but some of the wounds that life inflicts on us might have healed a yeah. little bit. And, uh, you know, I think as I get older, I mean, I look at myself, you know, even 10 years ago, you know, 
And even 10 years ago, I was no spring chicken, you know. Um, but now it just, the perspective I have on my life and, and uh, you know, all these petty grievances or, or issues or grudges I might have had some people, you know, against some people when I was a teenager or, you know, in college. You let yeah. that go. You just can't carry that negative energy. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I just turned 55. Oh, and... God, I thought you were younger than me because you have your hair. No, you no. I'm not hitting on you, I swear, but you look fantastic. Um, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I'll okay. take that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just turned 55, and I've got two young daughters. Uh, they're 11 and 12. Uh, I, I took on my wife's two boys when they were 7 and 9. They're now 23 and 25, wow. 24. I was getting... They're, they're, they're both very close in age. But yeah, you're right. When I think a lot of things have come up lately where I've had to be, because I'm quite a retrospective person. I, I, I do like my historic, my history yeah. rather than my future. I am extremely I, nostalgic. Uh, yeah, know, very I'm nostalgic. I'm nostalgic for things that I might not have even cared for at the time that they were happening. You know, it, yes. it's, it's strange that way. It just, but I love that. And, it, you know, when someone says, oh, why are you living in the past? It's like, well, you don't want to lose it. And, you know, what's nothing wrong it's what makes you who you yeah. are it's like if i think if i'd dropped dead at 25 and i'd done and i'd been an arsehole with somebody i'd be remembered for being an arsehole but you know i got past that in my 30s i kind of came more into my personality it took me a long time to become the person yeah, i am too. today i was very quiet and shy and it wasn't till my 30s that i finally discovered like who i was and then i've built on it and then got married and we've had the children and you know now i and it, and it really is weird when you th- do think back to like when he died he was what 30, 37 37 crikey when i think back to what what i done at 37 wasn't a great deal it's it's no age I at mean, all as, as far as art is concerned i think the highest profile thing i did was the flip side of an album cd cover by entrada soundtrack music for the secret of Nick. <laughs> you know but i was so proud on that the front cover was you know tim hildebrandt artwork and then mine was on the opposite side i didn't get paid for it but i was so happy and so proud it's like it's on the soundtrack you know Whereas, you know, then I see Paul's stuff on a fucking billboard. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he, did, you know, I, I say that with jealousy, but also extraordinary admiration. I mean, him and, and, and Blake Armstrong and uh, Jason Palmer and, uh, um, you know, Kyle just, uh, you know, and, and Paul especially because I've known him, I mean, since before the beginning. Uh, yeah. He just, he, and he, what he I said- earned every inch of success he's gotten and uh, i'm so grateful he's still out there and you know when indiana jones 5 if and when it's made if drew doesn't do the poster i hope he does i mean even paul that will tell great. Him, i think paul would want drew to do the poster but yeah if, if drew doesn't uh, i hope i hope it's paul shipper and uh, yeah i i hope both of them get to do something yeah, together which would be yeah. amazing but the thing I said to Paul um, in the interview I did with him, what what I said was important to me is when we talk about iconic films, we more often than not picture the poster before we think of anything yes. in the film, and it's the and the, the poster is as important a part of the iconicness of a film because you know people go and buy this artwork when you think of you know indiana jones you don't really picture a scene from the film you 
you picture the poster and that's what they're keeping alive and this is this wonderful form of art that are the great masters but they're the great masters of hollywood and and i want everyone and collectible everyone who's our age i want you to think back to your childhood and just the joy of going to the movie theater and seeing the new movie posters unveiled i remember seeing you know because i was such a huge fan of raiders of the lost ark i mean i still am my god Changed my life. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I remember seeing the Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom uh, teaser poster, Bruce, Bruce Wolf's poster for the first time. And then I remember seeing Drew's uh, poster for Temple of Doom in the newspaper when it came out. I'm like, oh, my God. And that was just another eureka, holy cow moment. We're yeah. seeing uh, Drew's Back to the... No one talks about the fourth film. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> you know... But the fifth one would be great. You know, you know, the fourth film has has some moments, you know, and, and I think my, my issues with the fourth film, and I'm sorry, to, I'm not trying to, you know, uh, bag on it, but uh, it's it's everyone kind of made fun of what it had, like Aliens and Shia LaBeouf with monkeys. Um, I took issues with that, but it's also what it didn't have, and I really think, you know, if you read the Frank Darabont draft of the script, uh, which was much stronger, I think. Um, because they went through the trouble. The one thing that they did right was uh, bring back Karen Allen, who was such a strong character in the first mm. film. I was just so disappointed because she didn't really, wasn't given anything to do in the last film. And Frank Darabont's script, you know, the whole script was centered around their relationship and Indy kind of had to win her back. And she mm. was still a very strong-willed, you know, fiercely independent. I mean, I just fell in love with her you know and i think and that's why i think she's endured you know the, the character marion ravenwood um because and that's another thing i love about drew's poster for raiders is that marion is made is featured so prominently along with indy she's at his side she's his partner and no other indiana jones poster ha- features a love interest that prominently you know so thank you drew if you're listening i hope you're listening <laughs> well listen I, we've i could talk to oh you for God. another oh, hour I'm so sorry. Holy <laughs> it's cow, like really good really no but but I, what i do want to say is it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you about this i can certainly see on camera the amount of respect and passion you put into this and i think richard's lucky to have you doing oh, this well, i don't think there's anybody uh, who could have given this the the respect well, you've I, given it Eric, from Eric having Sharkey talking to you. Know, a great candidate. I just beat him to it. But, uh, you know, Eric's probably going to finish another two movies before I'm finished with this one. But uh, I will say, <laughs> if anyone find, wants to find out more about the movie, go to richardamsel. I'm sorry, richardamselmovie.com. And yeah. uh, uh, there you go, you know. I'm going to put all the links to the websites I found. Um, if you don't mind me sharing, can I share the artwork you sent me in the email with the... Oh, yes, yes, yes. Just don't, please don't publish that until yeah. uh, after December 5th. No, yeah. We'll, we'll, this will be going out on this Monday, December the 4th, so that we can talk about the book. But, Adam, seriously, I, oh, I want to keep in touch with you. I it's been such a pleasure talking to you and i want to hear more about the you know i want to hear more from you about the project it's going up to, to take time. conclusion it's going to take time because i am right now just one man i'm, I'm still uh right now I'm, I'm just keeping myself busy i actually started uh, uh i'm into week two and a half now uh i uh richard amsel loved animation so do i uh i just never went to animation school i am now i recently enrolled with uh Don Bluth uh, University. Don Bluth 
Okay. The Secret of Nim, which is one of my all my my all time favorite animated films, and uh, they. Well, one of my best friends, uh, actually, uh, his name's Aaron Blaze. Um, he was a Disney. He did. He directed Brother Bear, okay. um, but but he worked on Lion King, um, Pocahontas, and he worked under the oh, not Glen King. Oh wow! Yeah, he he was when he first started at Disney. He actually tells the story of when he was at Ringling College. Two two companies came in for hiring. One was Hallmark Cards, and the other one was Disney. And he missed the Hallmark interview. And ended up at Disney, and he ended up working on some of the biggest films at Disney. Uh, he he animated uh, new, uh, the my brain's not working. Nala and Simba children in the film. He animated oh, the Lion that. King. He directed yeah, Lion King. Uh, he did a scene in Beauty and the Beast as well. He got to that was his one of his first big proper scenes in that film, and he just went on to work on loads of Disney films for twenty odd years. And I met him randomly at an event, and we hit off. And he um, he now does this thing called Creature Art Teacher, where he teaches animation, uh, traditional animation. So I, I'll send you the link. But if oh, you're yeah. going back into yeah, animation, well, check Don, out Aaron. Yeah, Don, it's a year long program. I'm, uh, He's not paying. He he's not paying me to say this. Uh, Don Bluth University, and uh, it, it's very one-on-one. They only accept a handful of students each each year. Yeah. But uh, you know, it was like you know, Secret of Nim was such a big influence on me. It, it was, uh, and that was really the animate the one animated film of that time in my childhood that was you know, yeah, um, that had such a big influence on me. So it's it's a dream come true. And even you know, do I have aspirations to to work in animation as a lifelong career? I don't know. I'm I'm kind of long in the tooth now, but it's like, you know, this is not a case of some kid who's having his parents pay for this. This is something I'm investing in myself for the joy. This is yeah, something you want to do, a personal project. And, uh, and this film, and uh, and I'm, you know, it, it's motivating me to get back into painting and drawing. You know. So. Oh well, that's. I'm glad you're doing something for you yeah, as well, yeah. as well as all this work you're doing but on the film. But so no, holy cow, it's a lot of work. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't want to pick up on Ruth. You know, he he shoots me down. He's like, "Well, this isn't good." I'm like, "Ah," you know. But that's you learn. You know, it's tough love, and you need that. You don't need someone yeah, to your hand. You need definitely. So. Oh. Thank well, you, sir. Seriously, thank you, thank you, Adam. Your cat has finally just oh, got up Carly. behind oh you. God, <laughs> he sat there the I'm whole sorry. two hours. Yeah, well, yeah, she, no, he's great. Carly. He's just like got to listen. <laughs> He's like, oh, I've heard these stories so many times. <laughs> but no, thank you, Adam. Really, I really appreciate your time okay. today. Um, I, I'll put, I'll obviously liaise with you up to the point of this yeah. being published to make sure we get Could everything you... right and make sure the wording's I, I right. I selling this too, but there's also, I don't really try to milk people for donations, but we do have for the film uh, a yeah. donation page and everything... Uh, one important thing about this film is that uh, uh, in the United States, it's uh, we have fiscal sponsorship uh, for nonprofit okay. 501c3 status. So if anyone makes a donation, at least I know in the United States, um, it is a charitable donation that they, people can write off for taxes. So okay. It's also, if you send me the well, link, if, I'll put yeah, that on yes, as well. It, it's, it's on the site, but. Uh, I think I saw yeah, it on the website. Yeah, I saw it. Tab. Um, I don't want this to be about money, but it will help down the road down with uh, 
you know, post-production in session legal, legal is going to be a big issue. Yeah. I say when you do the book, I mean, obviously kick, oh, yes. I've, yeah. I've actually personally got a lot of books off Kickstarter, yeah. which has been a great platform as well. Yeah. Because I need to have yeah. more substance for the book available in terms of what's written. I think it would be irresponsible of me saying, okay, we're going to do a book and not have anything ready. And then wait five years and meet people are waiting for a book for all that time. And yeah. <laughs> it's one thing for a movie because I think people know it's damn well going to take time. But, uh, and, yeah. you know, and, you but, know, but a book, it's, it's different. A book's like a year yeah, at yeah, best. So. Anyway. All right. Well, yeah. look, I'll let you go, but thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you. And, um, yeah, for anyone listening, check out the links, check out Adam's work, and if you can, support him, support him. And, um, um, we will do an update episode when we get closer to the film and the book being completed we'll have you on okay, again awesome. and talk about kind of part two so um stay safe stay well and thank you for your time adam <laughs>